Welcome to the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Joel, and with me, as always, is... Hey, guys. What's going on? It is Jason. Hey. And I guess... I don't know, Jason. Usually, we just do something stupid to warm the show up here. But today, I'm kind of feeling like we needed to do like a state of the board game mechanics address almost or something here. Um, <laughs> okay. There's just a lot going on. Okay. So first, if you aren't checking out our videos, you're missing out, I think, personally. Um, so go check out our videos. They're pretty good. And Jason, you do a lot of videos. I mean, you've got a ton of series up there. Uh, I'm starting to do more, but check out our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find it... I think via our Facebook. I mean, there's a lot of videos there. And then our Facebook is kind of where everything happens at. So if you aren't on our Facebook, I would really strongly encourage you to go there. Um, we don't have an awesome like website presence yet, uh, but we do a lot through our Facebook and we stay connected pretty well. And then within the Facebook, there's a subgroup called The Riveted. If you go to theriveted.com, that gets you right to The Riveted page. And then you can get to the Board Game Mechanics page from there as well. So I would really strongly encourage people who enjoy this show or are listening, go check that out. Um, also, as always, leave us a review. Uh, maybe, you know, five stars if you like us. And subscribe because we love to see our numbers climb up. So this show, this is why I wanted to do our podcast, State of the Podcast address right now. Our show, I think, has probably doubled in audience in the last six weeks. So that's pretty awesome. We are... Not huge by any means, but we're definitely growing steadily. Uh, and I think we're at the point now where I would say our audience is a solid 500 people. So when we have a show come out, we know that it will get over its lifetime at least 500 listens. And that's, I mean, about halfway to the goal that I wanted to have for this first year of getting a thousand. And so uh, based on like exponential growth and things like that, I think we're going to get there. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, we've had some decent new subscribers in YouTube. Good job. Keep checking out those videos and we'll keep putting them up. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, you're getting in on the ground level and all this stuff if you're still listening right now or, or brand new to us. So don't feel like, oh, I've missed out on so many things. You haven't. I don't know. I'm starting to kind of figure out what we do and how we can make it really rock solid and, and really great. Uh, and not necessarily look at growth, but look at, you know, making what we do better. So the videos we do, we're trying to make those better. Some of our rankings and seals of approval kind of things, we're trying to improve. Uh, just all the things that we do are, are trying to, we're trying to improve them. And then maybe once we hit that 10,000 listener threshold or something like that, which would be amazing. And I think it's definitely doable. Just tell your friends. Then that's when I think we'll start looking at doing some other stuff where we maybe, you know, put together a little nicer website and stuff like that. But for now, Bear with us and understand that we are the board game mechanics. We're just two average guys who have full-time jobs outside this, have full-time family responsibilities, and actually give up almost all of our free time between playing board games and then doing this whole media thing we do. Um, and there's definitely weeks, Jason, I don't know if you feel this way yet or not, but there's weeks where I'm like, man, I would just love to have time to play games, not just record about them and talk about them. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you have that or not, but... Yeah, I was having some issues recording some videos a couple of days ago, and I was getting frustrated, but I still did it. I still love it, and I'll keep pressing on. Yeah, and I enjoy it, too, and I really enjoy the interaction. The people I've gotten to meet because of the show, is are, those people are really great, uh, so that makes it well worth it. Really enjoying this, but I mean, we are going to have waves of burnout and waves of levels of, uh, I'm not as interested in this as I was at one time, so. Right, yeah. At any rate, um yeah, that's kind of where we're at, I think. Now, I do want to mention this, Jason, and you could talk about this because I've been talking nonstop. We changed our seals a little bit. We changed our albums a little bit on how we're doing our game rankings. And I think it's still kind of up in the air on... I think we may end up doing some rankings individually. And then maybe later when we record the podcast, they could get upgraded or changed if we both play the game. Um, but... Want to talk about those, Jason, a little bit, what our levels are? Yeah, sure. Uh, we had the Board Game Hall of Fame, but we just recently updated the logo for that. Joel did a nice, shiny new logo. Um, but now we also have Board Game Mechanics Approved. We have Board Game Mechanics Classic. And we also have Board Game Mechanic Lemons. So each of those have their own rating rankings. I think uh, the Hall of Fame is 4.5 or higher. Um, the Approved is 3.5 or higher. Classic is games that had they come out 
10 years ago or had we ranked them 10 years ago, they'd probably be in the Hall of Fame. But now there are bigger, shinier new games out that do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And board game lemons. I mean, I don't think we really need to talk about that. Those are going to be the ones that we rank as a one that we never want to play. So, yeah. So I, I was thinking about certified or accepted for our level in the middle there. I think approved is what Dice Tower uses. So I tried to get away from it a little bit, but. Um, I think accepted's where we're at on that. And then. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's not about doing certified, like a certified used car. You know what I mean? But yeah. like the lemon thing kind of makes sense. If you, I don't know, that might be a colloquialism that's regional, but I don't think it is. If you get a car that's not very good, there's usually like a lemon law here in the United States where you can return the car within a certain number of days if it's really just broken and not what it appears to be. Right. Yeah. And so I thought that was kind of fun that we're going to have some lemons in there probably. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of consistent with our theme, even though we don't really talk about me- mechanic or cars at all. But it's just kind of what we picked, and it's kind of cool. I like it. I think we'll do a mechanic segment at some point. I mean, like, I think Jamie, Jamie Stegmeyer does the uh, My Favorite Mechanic thing. I think it'd be kind of cool to do our own version of that a little bit, eventually at some point, kind of in keeping with our name. Right, yeah. Um, I wonder how many people have listened to this and thought, oh, I'm really, really interested to learn about new mechanics, and then they are really disappointed when they listen. I don't know. I'm sure there are people. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) All right. So I only have a couple pieces of news today. Um, I grabbed a couple things on Kickstarter that I thought were interesting. And the first thing is actually something that my wife is really into. She likes the game Monikers, which I don't know if you've played that or not, but it's a party game over three rounds where you have to give clues one way in one round and a a different way in a couple of the other ones. I'm sure that's terrible, and I'm sure I'll hear about it later. But there's a new game on Kickstarter called Monikers, and it's called More Monikers. It's basically a big box to put all of the Monikers games in along with the new expansion. So... The new expansion is like 400 cards, so I think it brings a total to like 1,000 or 1,200 cards or something. It's crazy, but I thought that was worth mentioning because a lot of people like monikers, and it'll probably fund pretty quickly. Yeah, I I uh, haven't seen anything about this, but I know that it's a very popular game. Uh, I'm not sure if it'd be something I'd be into horribly, but I don't know. I know people do love it. Yeah, I don't. I've played a couple party games like this. I don't love them, but my wife's has some success with it with some ladies from our church. So because of that, I feel like I would mention it because maybe non-gamers may be into a game like this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what, the ne- what else, Jason? Uh, the next game I have is called Restaurant Detective, and this is kind of interesting to me. It's um, It feels like Mr. Jack meets Deception Murder in Hong Kong. So it's That's- like a... Yeah, the like whole a, theme like is disgusting. Like you're looking for cockroaches in the <laughs> restaurant or something. I no, you're trying to figure out. Uh, there, there's like all these little discs that look like coasters that have food on them. You're trying to figure out what the thief is trying to steal, but the thief is moving around like you do a Mister Jack. So you're kind of like using some deduction to figure out where they're going and where they move from. Uh, I, I might be way off base. That's what I got from reading the campaign. So who really knows if that's what it is because sometimes i interpret things my own way but it still seemed fun and i thought i'd mention it because it's i like i think the restaurant theme is a theme that's not used a ton and i think it's kind of interesting so yeah that is restaurant detective cool i have zero news because i've been busy with life um yeah. but i've been getting these emails about origins and i'm really excited about the stuff that's going to be happening next week at origins and i guess this is just a good reminder that one way or another, they may be the most underproduced, worst quality shows that we've done yet, but I want to get a show up um, essentially like every night that we can. So um, look for shows on, I would say, Thursday and Friday night. And then if you are probably more like Friday morning, Saturday morning, and then if you are in the greater Columbus area uh, during Origins uh, or a little before, Wednesday night we're having our meetup. You can find out more information about that on Facebook. And so that'd be really great to meet some of you guys face to face. I've had a chance to meet a couple members of the Riveted and I absolutely enjoy them. They're really great people. And I think that based on all the interactions we've had and how helpful and how really great all the people have been on the boards, I really look forward to meeting more of you guys. And I think we have a few people who have responded with a pretty probable response. So I'm hoping to have a nice group there. Yeah, it'll be exciting. I haven't met anybody in the Riveted that I haven't already been friends with first. 
So it'll be kind of neat to see some people who I don't know that have learned about us through the podcast and the Facebook page. So yeah, that'll be really exciting and I'm pumped for it. I am bringing a plus one. So you guys will have to come to meet that person, but (laughs) he's a fun person. So anyway, uh, no, no more. Just come, come (laughs) hang out with us. Yeah. All right, Jason, with all the yard work and stuff going on and the change of the seasons, were you able to play something? Were you able to tend to a garden or were you able to play a board game? I was. I did both. I played a board game about the Hanging Gardens, and it is called The Hanging Gardens. Um, I was pretty pumped to play this because it's been out of print, I think, for a long time. And my buddy Chris came over this weekend, and we played some games, and he brought this. And this is the first game I wanted to play because it just seems interesting. I watched Rado play it, and of course, I love Rado. So what this game is, is you are drafting cards off of this little tableau in front of you. And you're taking the card, and you have to build it on this blank land plot that you have that has six little squares. The trick is you can't put any of the the land types on the card that you draft. They can't touch the table. So they have to touch what's currently on your land card, or you have to cover up other previous cards that you played. So you're trying to do this and build a kingdom of like three to five sections of that color and put your temple down so you can score these tiles that are in-game points. So all the points are from the tiles. There's no other points anyway. The game takes about 30 minutes. It's super fun, and it's kind of like the precursor to that Honshu game. I don't know if you played that, but it's essentially the same thing, but this one does it in a cooler way, I think. I'm going to re-release this game with a new name called The Table is Lava. It sounds like fun. It you is fun. can't put stuff on the table, you know? So. Yep. yep. Uh, no, it sounds cool. Uh, I This has never been on my radar. I've never played it, never really known much about it, so... That's pretty cool. That's why I think I like having you as a uh, broadcast partner, Jason, is because you're into games that I'm clueless about, and you're way into them. So anyway. it's a fun, it's a fun game. I recommend if you can find it, play it. I mean, you don't have to buy it, but play it. It's really fun. I played Scoville, Jason. Uh, I basically had played this game. So this game's got kind of a, like a, a like soft spot to me, and I kept it, even though I didn't think it was the best game ever. Um, because this is the first board game I played after my son got out of the hospital a few years back. And so like we bought this game specially like on the way down to like our vacation. And it's like just it was brand new to us. And like it was our first chance to spend time as a family after my son got out of the hospital for having some some issues related to like diabetes and stuff. And uh, so at any rate, this game was like kind of special to me in that regard. And I always kind of thought it was like an OK game. I was like, yeah, it's it's fine. Well, it's been maybe... I'm going to say almost two years since I played this game. Um, and so I was looking for something that was going to be a little more than just entry gateway. My wife actually was so bored that she was like, hey, do we have a board game we can play? And I thought, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's like amongst my favorite things to hear my wife say. So <laughs> I uh, I said, yeah, let me go find something for us to play. And um, Luke and I decided to do Scoville. And I'm going to tell you, this game held up. It's aged well, like like a fine-aged pepper sauce. Um, I really, <laughs> really like this game. I'm going to spoil it right off the bat by saying that, but it's a really excellent game. It's I like it so much that I went out and did a YouTube video about it the next day. So um, I really love it. And if I were going to give it a seal, like just based on my on my own personal opinion of it, I, I would probably like borderline put this in the Hall of Fame right now. But I know Jason's not played it, so it's... Even if Jason hated it, it would be an accepted game. So that's where it's at right now. Um, But basically in this game, you play as someone who's planting and cross-pollinating hybrid peppers, and you're trying to fulfill recipes for different kinds of hot sauce. And so it's kind of neat because it's based on like almost fresco, where it's like the different primary colors, and then you mix those together to get secondary colors. And then if you mix certain kinds of secondary colors, you get black and white peppers, and then black and white peppers can make these like transparent peppers that are really powerful. And so they score according to the recipes that are out there and the recipes that have the highest points are the ones that have these really rare peppers, these transparent peppers and the more like black and white peppers. So you acquire those by doing a bunch of different phases. So the way how you win the game is getting the most points. You get points by selling rare peppers or by fulfilling uh, recipes. 
demand for recipes, which you have to get sometimes up to like maybe six or eight different peppers to cash in for a recipe that's worth maybe 25 points. And a, a winning score might be as low as 80. So you're only going to do maybe two or three of these recipes if you do the really big ones. So the way how you do this, though, is you have an auction phase. This is why people sometimes don't love this game, but I don't mind this at all. Um, you do a blind bidding auction. It's like Shakespeare, kind of, except for you just pay that money. And um, I don't have a problem with that mechanic at all. Um, I know that there's some other reviewers out there who are just like, this game's broken because of this blind bidding thing. Uh, blind bidding, yeah. And so I, I don't have a problem with it at all. Um, I personally think it's fine. But I can see where people might like it, not like it. So that is one of the criti critiques of this game that is out there. But then once you get that, you establish your player order. And you also get to pick from like this market of like basically peppers that you get to put in your supply. Well, then you're going to plant in the order that you bid. Or actually, you, you, you plant in left to right. And if you won the auction, you get to choose where you want to be in the order. Uh, and then you and then you harvest peppers from from right to left in the turn order so reverse and then you fulfill contracts and fulfill market demand in left to right so um if you're last player sometimes it's okay because you can harvest the thing that you really need um but if you're first player you're going to get a chance to you know mess up someone else's peppers that they're trying to cross pollinate or all kinds of things like that and the other kind of unique thing about this game is that you it's almost like a worker movement game you have a farmer that's moving through these fields and he can move up to a certain number of spaces. But wherever he's at between two peppers, you get the, the crossbreeding of those two peppers. So if I'm between a yellow and a blue, I get a green pepper. That kind of thing. And there's this whole great big chart. So um, if you're between like a purple and a yellow, you're going to get a brown. And browns are really common, um, but they're really useful. Um, I talked about some of the better peppers. And then so, and then you have the fulfillment phase. And then the game ends after a certain number of contracts have been fulfilled but it's not a very heavy game it's a good next level after like a gateway game but a really fun game has good tension and it has just uh, a lot to think about a lot of meaningful choices but not choices that are gonna necessarily if you make the wrong choices punish you for the next four or five rounds so something that i really enjoyed uh, is scoville yeah that's cool if they have that at the meetup i wouldn't mind trying that because i think I love bidding and I like the, the pepper theme. So I definitely want to play this game. Yeah, I can bring my copy for sure. Um, I mean, I have room, I think, in my vehicle. So, <laughs> yeah. Bring in an RV. So, uh, you should be fine. <laughs> I, I think so. Um, anyway. All right, Jason. Well, that's what I played. Um, man, I really wish I had more chances to play other things. And I did play a couple other things, but. I'm not going to talk about those at this time. I might talk about one of them a little in a little bit, but not right now. Yep, agreed. All right, Jason, it's time to put a game into the Hall of Fame or not. Uh, and I don't know where this one's going to end up at because I know we've talked a little bit about it, but I honest to goodness, most of the time we know where each other's rent ratings are at. And I don't know exactly where yours is at on this one yet. And yeah. it's pretty critical <laughs> on how this is going to land. I didn't give you much information earlier. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so so the game we're going to talk about today is, even if it doesn't make the Hall of Fame, it would probably be deemed BGM classic for sure. But this game is Agricola, Uwe Rosenberg, early beast of a game. Yes. So much green and purple, right? Is it purple <laughs> on that box? Uh, yeah, I think it's... Belfort. No, I think it's like purpley brown. Yeah, yeah. The box is orange, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A delicious, refreshing agricola. <laughs> agricola. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is a game that I've played a lot, and it is probably one of my favorite Uve games. But that doesn't mean I'm going to give away my rating right yet. So let's go ahead and drive through the ratings and see what we think of it. Well, I'll tell you this, Jason. I don't own this game anymore. I own Caverna now. I don't have this one in my collection. I got rid of my copy, and I'm kind of sad I got rid of it. I don't know what my voice did, but it was something. Uh, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I'm kind of sad I got rid of it uh, because I had the coolest Agricola copy ever. It had um, polymer clay and meeples, so I had little like fuzzy sheep and like little like bundles of reeds and. All oh, kinds of awesome. stuff that were handmade. It was really cool. But uh, 
I I don't know. I guess I'm not going to give away my rating really either yet. Uh, so, Jason, you want to talk about Agricola? What happens in that game? Okay, sure. So, in Agricola, what you're trying to do is you have a family, and you're trying to grow your family, get some occupations, do some improvements to your house to grow your family even bigger. Um, and your your family is essentially a little disc that you're going to be placing out on the board to collect resources, to get animals, to build fences around your farm. Um, and in this game, you need to feed your people. So this is one of the games, early games, where Uwe decided you're going to feed your people or else. But And he also makes you do everything. So along with feeding your people, you also have to get one of every kind of animal. You have to make sure your whole field is filled up. So it's a punishing game. If you mess up early, you're going to be done at the end. But... Essentially, it's worker placement with some other hard decisions involved. Yeah, and people who are critical of this game are critical of it usually for two reasons. One, it's really punishing, and it really is punishing. I mean, it's a hard game to play. You have to feed your family, and that's something that's not easy. uh, To, I mean, it takes up, I would say, sometimes, depending on how far behind you are on the food and how inefficient you are with getting food, it can take up a third of your turn or round to get just enough food to survive. And you don't want to get those begging cards because they're really terrible for you. They the are. other thing people complain about is that this isn't really a sandbox game. It's a you have to do everything game. And if you right. don't, you get punished. Yeah. So I don't know that I've ever seen somebody win this game where they didn't do at least something in every category because the punishment is big enough in each area that you really need to do at least something in each area. So uh, I don't know. It's a neat game, though. The part that I really like about it, Jason – is the uh, the card play. I like that there's the deck of cards and the decks of cards that you can get that kind of change things up, give you different little professions, player power kind of things. Um, so I always think that's kind of a neat thing that they add into this game. Um, if it didn't, if there's a family variant too that you can play without the cards, I don't feel like that version of the game is really that great because that's one that if you're an accountant, you can math out a path to victory and follow it every time kind of thing almost. Right, yeah. Um, but the cards make it so, hey, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what's going to happen. How's this game going to change? So I like the cards, and they they definitely are a big part of the game to the point where there's, I think, I don't know, probably 10 or more decks of expansion cards you can get now for the game. So, yeah, but that was a nice description of the game there, Jason. Well, I mean, even the game without expansions has probably like 120-some cards. So, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, it's not going to run out of variability anytime <laughs> in, right. a, you know, the first 10 plays or so. Right, absolutely. Uh, and it's kind of a neat game, too, that you build fences, you're building stables. It does kind of feel like you're running a medieval uh, farm kind of thing. It's yeah. it's pretty neat. Um, it does feel like gives you like a sense of accomplishment that you're building something for sure. It does, yep. Now, another thing that people will say whenever you talk about Agricola is that it has become a dated game and that Uwe Rosenberg has changed the game and made it different, made it have extra bells and whistles. I mentioned Caverna already. Caverna is 70% the same game as Agricola, um, except for he was like, oh, yeah, that thing of where you have to feed your people, and it's like has to be in the front of your mind all the times, at all times. I'm going to make that like maybe in the back of your mind half the time and then really urgent the other half, and then add a part where you're able to mine in a cave. I don't know, um, but there was that variant, and then a feast, a feast for Odin. Uh, that's definitely the one that's like, hey, I'm gonna take Agricola and Caverna, and then I'm going to see if I could make something that would be difficult to make into an app, even, and make that into a board game. So, <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> I don't remember the exact number of placements you have in that game that you can take, but I think it's like something like sixty at the start of the game, even. So, um, pretty, pretty wild um, that those are all kind of the same family of games. But Agricola was the original. Right. And that's the only one of all of those that I played and probably the only one I want to play. But that's just my own personal preference, I think. I've played them all. The only one I didn't... The only one, I liked Feast for Odin, but I thought, you know what? How far do we need to take this thing, honestly? <laughs> right, I, mean, yeah. I, I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I, I never jumped in on that one. I thought, you know what? I got to stop at some point. And my stopping spot was Caverna. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, so what do you think of the components on Agricola, if you remember? Uh, not with your fancy components, but like the regular components. Okay, so there's a few different editions of this game. Um, but I think the most recent edition, the 2016 edition, has the animeeples in it already. 
So if you can buy a copy that already has the wooden animeeples, there's little like, you know, cows and sheep and whatever in there um, that are just shaped pieces of wood. That's really cool. And then the little fences and the play mats that look like a little pasture. Um, the art is pretty okay. Um, pretty cool. It's definitely its own style. But right. as far as the components and stuff go, I definitely think it's definitely doable. And I would say even a little above. Um, I mean, they could have gone cheaper with some of the player boards. They could have gone cheaper with the card quality, and they didn't. So everything's pretty high quality. I think that the little meeples that you have for uh, people, but also for the animals, make the game a little more fun, a little more – it's hard to say thematic with a euro like this. But, I mean, you feel like you're putting the animals in a, in a field kind of. Yeah. I actually had the version before that. I got it on trade, but in my box, I have the cubes for the animals and I have the animeeples, but my workers are just the round discs, so I don't have those upgraded. So I have kind of like a mixed mesh of both. <laughs> yeah. But I still, I still think, yeah, everything else you said is, is right on the money. The boards are cool. The fence pieces are huge. Yeah. The cards are nice. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Do you have a lot of fun when you play this? I mean, fun is a, a relative term. I don't necessarily think it's fun. But I enjoy it a lot. It's not a fun game because you're too busy getting punched in the face a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I have a great time every time I play it. Yeah. I think it's fun. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a fun game. Um, it is punishing. It's frustrating at times, but I think it's that productive. Like our brains want us to be productive. And I think it really itches that scratch of like there's something deep in our brains and primitive that says go out and scratch a living off the land. And this <laughs> makes you feel that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. I would say the components for me, Jason, get at least a four wrench rating. Uh, as far as the overall design of this game, I, it's masterful. I mean, the game has a really awesome design. I, I compare it to games that came out before it, and it's pretty unique. And then look at the games that have come after it. And it's, there's a lot, there's a lot of copiers. I mean, admittedly, a lot of them by Uwe himself, but the ideas in this game are definitely seen in other games. Like one game that I really love is Brewcrafters, and Brewcrafters is definitely, a, a little nod to Agricola, for sure. A little bit, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly differences, but a lot of the game is really similar to Agricola, for sure, with the different modular boards for player counts and stuff like that. That is, you know, it was new, I think, at Agricola. Um, but I don't know. I uh, I definitely think it was innovative and a really great game in its day, for sure. Uh, the design on it, I'm going to give the design five wrenches, personally. And as far as the accessibility to uh, players, this one's not super accessible. This is going to be something that you want to have people have played board games for a little while before they jump into this one. Although that said, it's not impossible. It's like, hey, figure out what these places do and then get the stuff or even pick up the piles of stuff kind of thing. So um, I don't think it's ridiculously hard to figure out, but it's not something that you're going to have a person who's never played board games go out and jump into right away. Yeah, I agree. Components, I would agree with you on the four. Um, design, for sure, is a five. This is one of my favorite worker placements. Probably still, even though I haven't played it in a while. And um, the only issue the I'm going to add to you with you said ease of play, I think it's easy to play for people who have played some games before, but I don't think it scales well. So I would not play this at five. I would cap it off at Three, probably, because four takes forever, and two is amazing. So I would play it at two and three, no higher than that. Yeah, I like it at three a lot. Two's really good. Four's okay, for sure. But I think you're right. I'd, I'd say it's a great three-player game. Yeah, I played it three more than I have anything else. And yeah, I like three a lot. Yeah. All right, Jason, so are we ready to do our overall final wrench ratings on this guy? I am, yep. I'm giving it a four, a real solid four. I can't quite give it a five. Um, but I really do like this game. I think this is one that if you haven't had a chance to play it, you should get out and play it. 80% of the people listening to this right now for sure. Um, and I think it's one that would be a healthy game to put in your collection and own it for sure. This is something that I think in that trilogy of games, I, even if uh, I love is enough different that I wouldn't put it in the same category. Right. But out, yeah. of, out of Rosenberg's like forging a living games, I would put this one in that solid choice, just as solid as any of the other ones. Um, I don't know that you need to own all three unless you absolutely love this kind of game, but it's it's a rock-solid selection. So I'm giving it the four wrenches, real solid four wrenches. Uh, this is where if we did half ratings, it might even get a half. Yeah, I think I would probably give it a four as well because I like Lahav a little bit better, and I'm probably going to pick that over this one. 
So yeah, I think I'm gonna stick it at a four. Wah, 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 wah. So this will be a board game classic for sure, but it's not gonna make the Hall of Fame, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, our Hall of Fame is ridiculous. So Royals <laughs> is in the Hall of Fame, but Agricola is not. Take that for what it is. It's our opinion, man. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know what? I think would be really cool is if once a year we like opened up our classics to like give like a classic vote to our our fans and let them put somebody in the Hall of Fame. So yeah. whichever atrocity of board gaming that we <laughs> haven't put in the Hall of Fame that is a classic, maybe we'll let you guys vote it in every year, vote one in or something. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. But this right. one definitely, I think, is a classic. This is one that I think that it created a big enough waves. When that rock hit the lake, it made ripples um, for sure. So I think this is definitely going to have to get the classic label. Uh, and I don't know. I You know what? Every game that we've put in that classic category, I think people respect it. I think definitely with Dominion, people are like, I don't understand this game. Why it's so popular. It's kind of the feedback we got. I don't think anybody really beat us up for saying Pandemic's classic. And I'm not so sure that people are going to say... Agricola's uh, must be a Hall of Famer. I think it's a, a really good classic game for sure. And it's definitely worth having around. But And I definitely respect the heck out of it. But I'm not so sure that it's something that everybody's done. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, without Agricola, again, you wouldn't have Caverna. You wouldn't have Feast for Odin. You probably wouldn't have Cottage Garden, Indian Summer. You wouldn't have any of those games without Agricola. So again, it's it's earned its place. And it has, you know, it's kind of like the granddaddy of Uwe Rosenberg games, I guess. Before Agricola, he had Bonanza, and they're nothing alike. <laughs> right, and Bonanza's a Hall of Fame game. I'm just yeah, going to say it right now. It is. It's amazing. I love it. I love Bonanza. If we put Bonanza in the Hall of Fame and not Agricola, <laughs> we will never have more than 20 listeners ever. <laughs> we just won't give that one a rating for a while. <laughs> yeah. Bonanza's awesome, though. I mean, that's one of those. I think you and I are both suckers for games that are like underrated or forgotten, and that one's definitely in that category. It's a great game, though. Yeah, for sure. All right. So today we're going to talk about games from 2016 that we still think are amazing games and that people still play and have staying power. Yes. I like to call them too legit to quit. They're too legit to quit. Well, and like, I think that they're also, these games have the new car scent that has worn off of them. Right. And yeah. it's shown that they're still high quality. Um, and for my own personal list, I took anything in the top 10 out. I said, you know what? If you're a top 10 game, duh, you're still good. So this is stuff that's outside the top 10. And I think a couple of these are down near a thousand, honestly, but I think they're going to still be being played in a couple of years. I think they're going to grow in popularity, if anything, the ones I picked. Um, maybe not one of them, but it'll definitely sustain. Um, but the games in the top 10. Okay. So I'm just going to say this and I mean, like, go ahead. Let's get a conversation going over there on the Facebook group. Uh, 2016 best year for games ever. I mean, honestly, I don't know that there's a better year. I, I like dollar for dollar, you know, whole, whole year considered 2016's an amazing year, an amazing year. Scythe, Terraforming Mars. Star Wars Rebellion and Great Western Trail, all top 10 games came out in 2016. Um, and there's tons more of really great rock solid entries from 2016. So I don't know. I think you're going to have a hard time saying that there's a year that's much better than 2016, really. Yeah. I mean, Lorenzo also came out in 2016. I was just going through the list. I was like, man, I have like so many of these games. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little surprised Lorenzo didn't make the list for you. I talk about it a lot. I was trying to just spread some love around with games that I don't talk about a ton. So that's why. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's just are a ton of games. And then, and then there's games I haven't played yet that I really love. Um, role players, one that I put in the same category as the, we talk about it a ton. So I didn't put it on our list. Right, yeah. But King, King Domino is a 2016 game. Um, I mean, just so many good games out there from 2016. That's true. A Feast for Odin. We talked about it. It's a 2016er. Um, just so many. Vinos. We've talked about Vinos how many times? And the 2016 edition came out in 2016. Surprisingly, um, <laughs> yeah. the X8 games, I mean, just so many games came out in 2016. Millennium Blades. Uh, so, and, and, uh, and then one that I haven't played yet too that I'm pretty sure I'm really going to love. It's sitting on my shelf of shame is The Colonist. So, uh, just a lot of great games that came out in 2016. Yeah. I'm totally with you. I think I've, yeah, I 
just looking at my shelves, I have no idea. But yeah, I was looking over the list to make to come up with my three games and man, it was an impressive year for sure. Way better than 2018 so far. Well, and then there's six games we haven't even mentioned yet. Haven't even mentioned yet. And those games are going to knock your socks off. So pull them up right now just to give them a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jason, what's your favorite 2016 game? Or not favorite, but your first game that's holding up from 2016. My first game from 2016 is Clank. So I really like Clank because I like the way that the deck building works with the board play. And that was the first game that I played where you had deck building as the mechanism to move around a board. I know there are other games that did it, but this is the first one that I played. And I recently played Clank in Space, which, again, wouldn't exist if Clank didn't exist. And Clank in Space is amazing. So I had to put Clank on this list because the what it does and how much fun I've had playing it. Yeah, I'm with you. Clank's a really cool game, the Clank system. Um, and the other thing that is really cool that you didn't mention is the games are kind of lighthearted, kind of funny. Right, yeah, yeah. Munchkin leans heavy on being funny. <laughs> it's not much of a game. This one's kind of funny, and it's still a really good game. Right. Good pick. So what do you got? What do you got for us? I want to hear another great 2016 game. Oh, you're not going to like this one, Jason. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> The, uh, the Arkham Horror Living Card game. I really love this game still, and it's going strong. There's still all kinds of packs coming out for this thing. I know a lot of people who play this thing solo. I know a lot of people who play it with just a group of four. Um, but it's a game that I absolutely love it, and I'm dying that I can't get more opportunities to play it. I like it so much that... Oh, man. Okay. Um, people who love... Things that rhyme with Bloomhaven, maybe fast forward like 30 <laughs> seconds. Like I have a copy of Gloomhaven that does a lot of the same things that Arkham Horror does as far as like card play and combat and um, kind of like a legacy storytelling kind of thing. Right. And I would rather play Arkham Horror living card game every day right now. I just think it's pretty quick to set up if you have a good way to store your cards. Um, and then the narrative that keeps being told it's just neat how like this story just keeps unfolding and you get to make these characters that you really kind of grow attached to. It's, I don't know. It's the closest thing to a role-playing game. I think that you would enjoy maybe. Um, and that it does have card play and there's definitely like, you have to not just say I'm rolling a die and I'm going to cast magic missile. Right. Like you yeah. have to have the cards and you have to have that like kind of luck to get the right cards, but then also the skill to build the right deck to have the right cards in there to start with and just kind of know when to play things. And it's got a lot of mechanical game to it too. That is really awesome how it connects with just that adventure you're having. Yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to playing this one. I mean, I, I'm, it's not something that I would probably seek out to play, but if somebody wanted to play it, I would definitely play it for sure. Well, and this is going to be tricky because it's a game that like really isn't set up to play once, you know, it's something that is really meant to be played. 40 times with the same group of people. So right, yeah. kind of difficult to get people into it. That's one definite barrier is that it's not going to be really great for one-hitters. Um, although maybe they'll set up something eventually where they have a Halloween adventure or something and you can do a one-time party box or something. That'd be really cool. That would be cool. Um, if, if you do that, Fantasy Flight, I would love it. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my first pick is Arkham Horror Living Card Game. Going strong still. Cool. All right, so my next one is, uh, it's kind of cheating, because I think the original of this game yeah. was out before, but I don't care. It's my list. So the next one is Sushi Go Party, and this this version of this came out in 2016, and I actually think this is the version that you should play. You should never play the other one. This one has so much variety. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of sushi. There's a whole bunch of, the. there's a board for a scoring track. There's little randomizer thing so you can set up the game differently every time and essentially all this game is it's a drafting game it's seven wonders but on a super entry level um level i guess so you're taking a hand of cards you're keeping a sushi everybody reveals you pass around until the cards are gone you're going to do that over three rounds and then whoever has the most points is the winner it's a fun game it's yeah it's great i play this with really young kids too so it's super accessible oh yeah for um, sure I I have my only thing about this game that uh, it, it's just like I own Sushi Go and I was all about Sushi Go. It's really fun. And then it's like, hey, if you spent three dollars more, you get 
like eight times as many cards. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of irritated <laughs> That's me. That's true. Um, but my wife likes this game even. So that tells you that it's a pretty good game. Um, Sushi Go Party, rock solid choice, Jason. There's a ton of game in that box, and it's 20 bucks. I mean, that is a super inexpensive game for what's in there. It's amazing that they can make that game for $20. And it comes in one of those awesome, classy, game right metal tins. <laughs> yeah, they do love those. <laughs> They're the worst. Absolute worst. <laughs> All right, my pick is one that, um, hmm, out of the 100 people who listen to this on release day, I'm guessing... 92 of you are going to go, huh? Or I've seen that on clearance sales. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Via Nebula. It's a really good game. It's a Martin Wallace game. It's a Martin Wallace game that's just really stripped down. And it's a route building. Like, honestly, you could think of it as a train game and play it. It's it's the Age of Steam kind of system thing. The brass hole, all that. Martin Wallace heavy, strong games like that. Put into a much lighter family weight package. Um, Vine Nebula is a really cool game and you're basically building this like city in the clouds. Um, so it's just a neat game. There's like this like fog of war kind of thing and you're trying to like kind of clear the paths between different spots and you're trying to make it in a way that's advantageous for you but not other players but then also try and figure out how to manipulate other people's paths that they've cleared too um, in order to get the right resources you need to build things to get better at building paths and just kind of building an engine. So a really neat game. Via Nebula. Um, I think Z Garcia and myself are the only two people who actually like this game, but it's <laughs> yeah. that's not true. But it's just not been played a ton. And I think the reason why this game in particular has suffered is because I think it was one of the first games that had that map pricing really strongly put on it. Um, it's a $60 game, and you aren't going to find it most of the time for less than maybe, I don't know. I mean, I know they ran a stupid sale on it on their holiday sale for like 25 bucks, but most of the time you're going to find it for like 35 to 40 bucks at least. Uh, if not more like 45. And so people aren't necessarily super interested in just blind buying a game they've never played um, and just taking a chance on something at 45 bucks. So I think that there wasn't a ton of hype about this game. There wasn't a lot of PR done for it. And then that map pricing kind of hurt it too, is my personal opinion on it. But via Nebula, I know this is one that you really don't know a ton about, Jason, but it's I think you like it all right, at least. Um, it might be a little light for you, but it's a, it's a pretty solid game. The thing that's interesting to me about this, I know it's Martin Wallace and all of his games, usually the box cover art is wretched. And then I see this, right. I see this one and it looks like it's like a yellow game, like King of Tokyo type of, new, of, of <laughs> right. art. I'm like, what is that? What is this right. thing? <laughs> if you had to guess what that game's about looking at the cover, you would say you probably have like 40 chibis in there <laughs> yeah. and it's like some kind of advanced chess game where you like yeah. fight each other in an arena. For sure. Yeah. It's yeah. what the box looks like for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's all I know about it. Every time I see the box, I'm like, wow, that's a weird Martin Wallace game. And then I move on. <laughs> yeah. I I may throw that in the, uh, in the BGM mobile too <laughs> yeah. for for consumption in about a week or so. I would play it because I've never played a Martin Wallace game, and I know that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. If you play that as your Martin Wallace game, <laughs> that's like, yeah, I'm kind of a war gamer. I like to play Memoir 44. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. You'll be ridiculed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so I'm going to stick with party games from my 2016 uh, best of, I guess. <laughs> And I know what the game is, and it's just hilarious that you're like, we're going to stick with party games, and then mention this, and like it is a party game for sure. Yeah, but it's just, right, right, right. The whole thing is so weird. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So the game I want to talk about is Secret Hitler, and I mean, we've talked about this game at nauseum on this show. We love it. It's the probably the best party game, best social deduction game that there is. And, Absolutely. And I mean, every time we play this game, I don't even really love these type of games, but every time I play this game, it's just so fun to call people fascists and liberals and accuse people of being Nazis and Hitler. Oh man, it's, it's so much fun. And especially fun when you play it in really weird places that you probably shouldn't play a game like this because it really gets people looking at you. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean, this is a game that I call my wife a lion piece of trash on and with some church people. I mean, it really gets to you. So, but this is an amazing game. If you haven't played it and you like social deduction at all, like the resistance, go play this. You'll never play the resistance again. It's so good. People still play it. It still gets love. Yeah. Just check this game out. 
Well, it's like it's the resistance, but then it adds another layer to it and then also adds like a layer of simplicity to it as well yeah. almost. It's just – I don't know. I think the resistance is still fine. I think it's something that I will play from time to time. But at this point, if I had my choice, I'm definitely playing Secret Hitler still. Um, and I mean this one's not quite called in the new still, but it's still pretty shiny and new. But I don't see it going anywhere either. I think it was a good pick. Uh, I just played this one over the last weekend. Uh, with some people who are like not board gamers and they're pretty, pretty conservative people. And it's the first time I had people like kind of a little aghast that we were playing a Hitler game <laughs> right, where yeah. someone got to be Hitler. And like then after they played the game at the end, they were like, yeah, that was kind of cute. I get how it's, you know, whatever. But I mean, the other thing too is the theme really does work. It because, does for sure. Yeah. In a way, I mean, Hitler had to manipulate, you know, the government and try and gain power through, you know, like trying to be deceptive and gaining the trust of people. And that's kind of the idea that happens in this game. If you don't like the Hitler thing, there's definitely a secret Voldemort, secret Palpatine. The secret Voldemort thing would actually be kind of really cool for this theme with the, I don't know, I'm trying to read Harry Potter this summer, but with Voldemort being split into seven pieces or whatever happened with him, um, I don't know, that you could have seven bits of Voldemort. I don't know. So anyway, well, and I just said his name twice. Am I going to like have <laughs> big problems tonight when I go to bed? Or? You probably are. And another thing is when they, they depict all the fascists as dinosaurs. So it's not like, you know, they're putting actual people's faces on the game. So, yes, they're Nazis. Yes, it's Hitler. But it's Hitler as a dinosaur. I mean, it's silly. Jason, it's a lizard person. Uh, do I need to teach you about conspiracy theories? <laughs> yeah, evidently. <laughs> there are legitimately people out there who think that, like, the Rothschilds are lizard people. Like, <laughs> what? shape-shifting lizard people. I swear. I, there are people out there who think that, and they believe it with all their heart. But there's, like, a lizard race or a lizard alien type thing that's come and manipulated world power. And they're, like, a one-world government. And, like, there's tons of videos on YouTube of people who are, like, super ultra close-ups on George H.W. Bush's eyes. <laughs> and like they're like, look at the pupils here. You can see they become slits. Uh, and then if you look at this shadow when he walks behind here, you can see that he starts to slump over like he's got like a lizard-like <laughs> posture. Like honest to goodness, people think this for sure. I think it's just, and I think it's, yeah. <laughs> the reason why they made Hitler and all them Nazi, all the Nazis like lizards, I think it's like kind of a subtle little like nod to that being a little bit like tongue in cheek. Right. Yeah. They're the lizard people. But yeah, honest to goodness, <laughs> there's <ridiculous>. like, <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, man, I, I am fascinated with stupid conspiracy <laughs> theories. Like I love them because I'm like, there's no way this is true, but I love the how compelling of an argument people can make. Flat earthers, like, man, flat earthers. <laughs> there's another one that I saw last week that was, uh, uh, Katy Perry is jump, jumping a Ramsey. And I was like, Oh man, they look just alike. I get why they're saying that, but it just doesn't work out at all. But it's just really funny how, like, yeah. how impassioned people are about these things. Like, it is funny. It's of no consequence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one's Avril Lavigne was replaced. Like she committed suicide in 2003 and was replaced by a record label, kind of like Paul McCartney or whatever. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just so many stupid conspiracy theories. That's, All right. That's so funny. if you want to hear a stupid conspiracy theories podcast, um, <laughs> I don't know if there's one out there, but like, I don't know. Maybe Jason and I can start a stupid conspiracy <laughs> podcast on top of this one. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So Secret Hitler is a really great choice, honestly. So what did you play? I have a feeling it may go along with something that a theme that we just talked uh, about. I try and avoid Nazis as best I can. In fact, I want to kill Nazis. That's why That's why Black Orchestra is my game from 2016 that's going stronger now than ever. Um, it's a little bit of a cheat as well because I think the 2016 publishing wasn't anywhere near the scope of this 2018, I guess, publishing that has come out. Um, but it's such a good game. I haven't played it with a group yet that thought, oh, that's a dog of a game. Um, I'm not going to name any names. You can identify yourself if you want, but there's someone in the Riveted, a pretty, pretty predominant member of the Riveted, played this game with me. And I'll say this much. She had it set up to where I think she could roll nine dice, nine dice. Okay. So when you're trying to like kill Hitler, you have to get certain pieces of information, certain pieces of, uh, like, you know, evidence or materials together in order to make this, this work where you can get Hitler. And we had it set up to where I think she had, like, I think she could roll seven dice initially. And then we had two re-rolls of two dice. So there was just, like, such a good chance to have it happen. Because the successes are on two sides out of six. 
she rolled it and get us didn't get a single success on seven die and <laughs> we ended up losing that game it was the first time we lost that game but that was the worst play i've ever had of that game and i still think everybody had fun and was like man i want to try this again and try and get hitler it's just such a thematic game too i don't think i can think of another game that's more puts you in the, the middle of the game like you're just like all right, we're ready to kill Hitler, but we can't do it. He's way too strong. We just got to hang on and hide, you know, and uh, I don't know. It's a great game. It's going as strong or stronger than ever, and I do not foresee this one um, being dusty anytime soon. I think if anybody wants to play a, a, a cooperative game in my house, this is the first one at the table, and I don't think they're going to be upset that we picked it. Yeah. Um, that dice roll was gross, man. <laughs> It was really <laughs> gross, man. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I was just pondering that while you were talking. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that there's somebody who gave a half smile at 6.30 in the morning on Friday because of that. <laughs> <laughs> that terrible joke. Yeah. Sorry, I apologize now. <laughs> well, I don't think there's a need to apologize. We don't need to start apologizing now. We're going to go back <laughs> through all true. the old episodes That's and true. make a special edition of them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I still haven't played Black Orchestra, so maybe that's one that you can pack into the camper and we can play that. But yep, I, I don't know. That, I don't know if I've asked you this before, but you played Freedom the Underground Railroad, right? Yeah, you- yeah, sim- similar ideas. I mean, not the gameplay is very different, but like the feeling you get from Freedom the Underground Railroad is definitely present in Black Orchestra too. That's awesome. Yeah, Freedom's probably my one game that I really want to get in my collection because man. <laughs> That makes me feel my heart race when I'm playing that game. So if Black Orchestra does that same thing, I want to try it for sure. Yeah, I think it, I think it will. Uh, so, Jason, before we go, here are some things from 2016 we haven't mentioned yet that are still awesome. Like, just to kind of conclude how great this year was. All right. Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. I own it. It's amazing. Um, it makes that game just come alive and makes it almost zero fiddliness. Quick setup, quick play. Love it. Uh, Mechs versus Minions. Absolutely love that game, too. You would hate it. You would say it's a pile of 100 pounds of plastic garbage, but I absolutely <laughs> yeah. love it. And it's another co-op game that I think is worth owning and playing. It's got that kind of like program movement and stuff going on with it. It just it feels like you're kicking butt. It's just really fun. So it's like a better Robo Rally, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, like it's a cooperative Robo Rally, right. I would say. All right. Santorini. Uh, Pandemic Iberia. I mean, all these games are games that Ennis was almost on my list, so close to making my list. Yokohama, which I Yokohama, which I have not played, but I want to play badly and it looks great. Me too, for uh, sure. And then you mentioned Lorenzo already. Um, Aeon's End, which is a game people absolutely love. So many good games came out that year. Uh, now, I'm going to say a couple games that I think have already lost their glow and I don't see them ever bouncing back. They're going to become lost to history. Uh, first one I'm going to mention is Star Wars Destiny. That one was all the rage summer of 2017 slash fall of 2016. <laughs> yeah. And I think I've never seen something fall off faster than it, at least on my local scene. Um, it went from he couldn't keep the booster packs in stock at my local shop. And I was going there with like spare change to like to like buy as many boosters as I could without getting in trouble for my wife. Like I cleaned out the ashtrays. So my wife didn't know I bought more boosters. True story. And if, if you guys tell her that story in the riveted, well, she'll know because <laughs> yeah, I told her, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was but t- I mean, seriously, that's how all in I was in that game. And then honest to goodness, if you go there today, he's selling display displays like stacks there for like half off. So, I mean, that game is really falling off. Yeah, I was talking to Kim about that because she went to Worlds with Katie, and there were only 300 people in the tournament there at Worlds, like the big tournament, which is crazy. Wow. That is that is crazy. Um, Quadropolis is another one that I don't think it's going to hold up for me. I, I like it just fine. I got it because I just kind of tend to buy every Days of Wonder game. Just I like the weight of their games. I like the production value. Right. And I usually like how streamlined they are. Um, Yamatai, awesome. Uh, Five Tribes, awesome. Even Relic Runners in my book, very good. But Quadropolis, I just don't think it's going to hold up. I would rather play Suburbia to have that kind of city building feel. Um, so that's one that's not holding up too well. Evolution is another one. Evolution Climate, I guess, specifically came out in 2016. It's the second game in that line of, oh, you mean I just bought your $40 game and now for $41 I can get twice as much game? 
like yeah. category. So yeah. like that's that's kind of my own personal grudge against that one. But I mean, I don't feel like Evolution is that great personally. Um, not holding up as well as other games are. Um, those are my picks for stuff that uh, even Cry Havoc. I'm not positive is I can't get people to play it with me. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely stuff in 2016 that's kind of fallen off, but some stuff is really great still. And we talked about some of it. Yeah. I didn't get any of these, um, also rands, I guess. So we'll just use your list and I'll, I'll concur and I'll nod my head emphatically game, game that I thought would maybe make your list. Maybe you haven't had a chance to play it yet, but, um, I thought you'd definitely put your monocle on and play Oracle of Delphi in 2016. I want to. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to play it. That's definitely on my list for sure because I love Feld. And this is a different Feld. So, yeah, I wanted to give it a try. Fabled Fruits, another one I own. I own Cottage Garden. I own World's Fair. I don't own Cottage Garden. I own Indian Summer. Um, same thing. Same difference. <laughs> yeah. World's Fair, World's Fair is a good game. It is Ulm. Almost 2016, too. I know you like that one. I do. Other people don't. Yep. My wife hates it. <laughs> I mean, it was a good year. I mean, absolutely a great year. Codex came out. I've talked about that game on here before. Um, just I don't know that I would be able to say that there's a better year for board gaming than 2016 at this time. If you'd like to prove us wrong, do it. Go over to Facebook and prove us wrong. Yeah. One game I almost put on my list as well was Vast. That came out in 2016. And that the four roles that all are so different, the asymmetric roles where everybody's playing a completely different game and has different win conditions is amazing. And I think that was kind of ahead of its time a bit. And I don't think it's probably as popular now as it should be, but I still think it was a quality game when it came out in 2016. Yeah, I, I haven't played that one. I just know the funny parts of one person has to play as the cave. Um, which is kind of silly. Um, it is silly, but that the cave actually has some cool stuff that they do. Like it's an amazing game. You should at least play it once and see how it goes. Uh, so that's about it, Jason. So what did we miss? What game from 2016 do you love? Uh, and also what year is better than 2016? Honestly, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to beat. Yeah. Just don't say 2018 because so far that's not true, but anything else could be true. I don't know, man. We'll see how this year pans out. I, it's going to be really tough to beat 2016. Yeah, I would agree for sure. 2015 was a good year too. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> All right. We're sorry, 2015. You were a good year as well. <laughs> but but are you the best? It's not though. It's just not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pandemic Legacy was 2015. I mean, that's a big deal. That's true. Blood Rage. Yeah, 2015 wouldn't be a good year for you, Jason. There's a lot of thematic stuff. Although the Galleries came out in 2015. That's your favorite game. So I do love the Galleries, yeah. Grand Austrian Champions of Midgard. So uh, there's a lot of good picks in 2015. I Okay, yeah. so carry on. Maybe All we'll, right, 2015 is your year, love. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do another episode. <laughs> That'll be Jason's favorite year of board gaming ever. Yeah, that's another good episode too. All right, Jason. Well, this was like less than zany, really. That's all right. They can't. I mean... We can't be zany all the time. Well, I mean, we got pretty silly in an episode or two ago. And, you know, we got scolded that we're too silly. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't want to have to write on the chalkboard anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will be a good boy and not make little silly jokes <laughs> we'll stop. about stalking people. We'll stop talking about Boy Meets World because some reason that ends up in almost every episode. <laughs> Yeah, there's got to be a Boy Meets World game out there, and I'm going to go to all the depths to find it and play it and do a video of it and promote it. I will use my own American money to promote it on every social networking platform I can to bring it to all of its glory. Boy Meets Guild Ball. I bet that's what it is. That would be pretty oh, awesome. Oh, Guild Baller, Guild Baller Boys. It's my new podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Corey Matthews versus... <laughs> Writer Strong. Is that the kid's name? I don't remember. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and again, Boy Meets World is back. I know somebody who knows, and they're definitely going to comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being a part of our Inside Jokes. <laughs> yeah. We'll catch you next time when we talk about all the variations of Uno that we enjoy. <laughs> That's not true. We really will be out back sooner than later doing some 
live, roughly edited shows of goodness from Origins. And I hope you guys enjoy that. Yep. I've been Joel. And I'm Jason. See you guys later. Hey everybody, it's June 8th. Welcome to the Dice Tower. I mean, board game mechanics. 